Well, good morning once again, Mountain Lake, and uh, there's something that Eric said in his story that has been resonating with me um, way prior to this video. It was when he said, I mean, I, I, I know, I remember when I gave my life to Christ, and if you're a believer, you could tell that same story. It's, man, here's when my life was changed, here's when I gave my life to Christ, it was either at this camp or in this service, I raised my hand, I walked down front, I mean, whatever that moment was, we can probably remember, man, this is when I gave my life to Christ. But he makes a distinction, which I think is really important. He says, it's not just I gave my life to Christ, but I never gave my will to Christ. So I've given my life to Christ, but I haven't really learned how to give my will over to him. And understand, when we give our life to Christ, the rest of our life is learning that, is learning how to give and hand over our Will. It's that every decision at every moment and every day that we have to decide, am I going to give this over to him or am I going to hang on to it? He's talking about CR, Celebrate Recovery, if you're not familiar with that. It's a wonderful program that we have here at Mount Lake Church. It's located at our Forsyth campus, Tuesday nights, 7 o'clock, and it's for anybody, and you heard both of them say this, it's for anybody with a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. And as I think through my life, hurts, yep, habits, yep, hang-ups, yes, so I'll see you guys next Tuesday at 7. <laughs> Hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but here's really where that, where that gets us stuck is because that's anything, a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. Those are all things that keep us from moving forward to what God would desire for us and of us. Last week, we talked about how our past does that. Remember, Paul said, forget or neglect the past so that you can move forward and look to what's ahead. It's not always our past that holds us back. What are you dealing with right now? What did you walk in here with today? A hurt, a habit, or a hang-up where you feel like I cannot move forward? Not because of the past, but because of what I'm dealing with right here, right now. That's keeping me from moving forward. That brokenness is not allowing me to, to keep moving. It's that hurt, it's that habit, it's that hang-up that's keeping us from what God desires of us, from what God hopes for us, what God is even calling us to. If you have kids, you know that there is a phrase, a question that they ask that we hear over and over and over again. It tends to happen when they're sitting in their car seats, it tends to happen on a relatively longer drive, and it's the question, are we there yet? Exactly. Are we there yet? And we took our kids to Disney World last year, and so we're getting in the car, and we start getting out on 400, and we barely got on 400, and my kids ask, Dad, are we there yet? I said, no, like we just pulled out of our neighborhood. I said, okay, okay, okay. So they wait a little bit longer. By a little bit longer, I mean about one and a half minutes. And it's, Dad, Mom, are we there yet? I said, no, son, we are still in Georgia. We have to go a whole nother state. He says, oh, okay, okay. So he waits about another two and a half minutes and says, Dad, Dad, are we still in Georgia? Yes. Well, how long will we be in Georgia? For the rest of your life. Stop asking. <laughs> he says, well, how, how big is Georgia? I said, I don't know. I mean, it's big. It's going to take a, you know, a few hours. Okay. So a few minutes passed. Are we still? Yes, we are still in Georgia. I will tell you when. No. Why is that? Why do, they, why do they have a hard time understanding that answer to are we there? It's because they can't compute that space and that time of, well, here's the distance we have. Here's how many miles it is. Here's how fast we're going. Here's how fast we should be going. Here's how long it's going to take us. We start, they're recording this one, so I have to be careful. But they can't compute that. 
And so what happens is we carry that idea into our adult and, and, and adulthood and we have these hurts, these habits, and they, these hang-ups and we say, God, why aren't I moving forward? Why am I still stuck? Are we there yet? Why are we not there yet? Why is this still a problem? Why can't I move past it? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? God, hello, are you listening to me? Are you moving? Are you doing anything? We don't feel like we're taking any ground. We don't feel like we're moving forward and so we just keep asking God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? See, our understanding is different than his. Isaiah even tells us that his thoughts are above our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Of course, we are not gonna see exactly as he sees. Our hurts and our habits and our hangups make us feel stuck, like we cannot move forward. And so we get stuck in that phrase of, are we there yet? And the more we say, are we there yet, talking about our hurts, habits, and hangups, the more we begin to feel more and more hopeless. Because the more you ask, are we there yet, you recognize, well, we're still not there yet. The more you say, are we there yet, the more you realize that that hurt, that habit, and that hang-up are still a hurt and a habit and a hang-up, and you can't seem to get past it. So then eventually you stop asking the question altogether and say, you know what, forget it. I'll just live with it. That's not what God intended of us or for us. He desires to see us on the other side of that, to move past it, to move through it. Romans gives us this insight as we look into scripture. Romans chapter 15, verse four says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have what? What's that word? Hope, that we might have hope. The endurance that's taught, the encouragements that's given is given so that we can then have hope. So if you're stuck in a hurt, a habit, or a hangup, and we're asking that, why is this still a problem? Why can't I move past this? Understand, that's what the Bible does for us. They're not just great Bible stories. They're, they're stories, yes, but they give us the teachings of endurance so that we can have the encouragement because hope is going through it. We can come out on the other side and we come out of it with hope. So here's what I want you to do, because here's the danger of this morning. Uh, we're gonna look at a passage that is what I would call great preaching, which means it's a great story. It's a wonderful Bible story. If you grew up in church, you probably know it. It's a wonderful story that you can just kind of get fired up about. But the problem is, if it never moves from just being a great Bible story and it never moves into here and takes root, there's not gonna be change. And that's what Romans tells us. The reason we have these scriptures is so that it leads us to hope. So here's what I want you to do. If you're willing to do this, grab your worship guide and I want you to write down a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up. And I know that might be asking a lot. I, I recognize that. And if you don't want somebody around you to know it, shorthand it, abbreviate it, do a little cipher so no one can understand and figure out what your hurt, habit, or hang-up is. But I'm telling you, we all have them. So it's things that we get stuck in where we can't seem to move past it. A hurt, a habit, a hang-up, something that's keeping us from what God would desire for us and of us. What is that for you? What is it that you walked in here with this morning? What is it that you're looking at and you're saying, there is no way I can get past this? There's no way. Write that down. We're going to keep it in mind as we look through an Old Testament story. Just like Romans says, it's going to teach us endurance. It's going to encourage us so that we can have hope. Here we go. If you've got your Bibles, head over to Joshua chapter 6. I'll put them on the screen behind me as well. Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. The context here is Moses had delivered God's people out of Egypt. They had been wandering around the desert for how long? 40 years wandering, waiting to get into the promised land, which no joke is a land that God had promised to give them. That's where that name, I know, I know. 
it's great stuff. Promised land, it's the land that God promised to give them. It's a wonderful land, and now they're ready to go into it. So God comes to Joshua, the successor of Moses. Says, okay, Joshua, the time is now. You've been stuck in the desert. It's time to move past your past and move forward. We are ready. You are ready. And in Joshua 1, God says, I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. I'll take care of you. I'll be with you always. You just need to be strong and courageous. And you're going to lead these people into the promised land. So that's the context for it. They're getting ready to walk into the promised land. And there is a problem. We're going to see what it is. Joshua chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. There's a problem. There's a pretty major hang-up that is keeping God's people and the Israelites from fully enjoying and moving into the promised land. That's Jericho, the city of Jericho. They're in the way because as they moved into the promised land, this land was so great like God had promised that they recognized there's a lot of other people that wanted to live here too. (laughs) And so now they were trying to move in, couldn't fully enjoy the promised land because of all these other kingdoms and nations and people groups that were already in there. So God had told him, hey, you're going to go in. I've already delivered you. I've already given you the land, but you're going to have to take it. So the problem, as it was lined out, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. In other words, Jericho saw the Israelites moving in and said, all right, everything shuts down. Lower the gates. Bar it up. No one's going out. No one's coming in. They were a fortified city. In other words, it was even seen as an unconquerable city because of the walls that surrounded Jericho. They were so tightly secure that now Joshua and the Israelites said, we have a major problem. We want to enjoy the fullness of the promised land, but we can't because there's this city in Jericho, and we can't defeat it. We can't move past it. We're stuck. So that's where we have this. This is where then God begins to speak to Joshua and says, yeah, I know the problem. Just like we all have a problem, right? The hurt, the habit, the hang-up. Here was the Israelites' major hang-up, keeping them from moving forward, but look at the promise. We have the problem, then God gives a promise. We would like those to be swapped. We really love the promise before we even know there's a problem. It doesn't work that way. They see the problem, and then God gives them the promise. Verse two, then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. Now, if I'm Joshua, and I'm hearing from God, and God says, see, I've already delivered you. I've already defeated the city. If I'm Joshua, I'm looking at the fortified city, and I'm hearing from God, and God says, see, I've already delivered them. I've already beat them. I'm thinking, God, are you and I looking at the same city? Because what I'm seeing is a fortified wall that no one can penetrate. And apparently you're seeing something that's already happened. (laughs) Understand, that's how God sees. What God saw was a victory that's already taken place. What Joshua saw physically was a city that no one could enter, the city that no one could defeat. And we have to understand when God gives us promises, they're promises that we have a hard time grasping sometimes. Remember, we don't see the way he always sees. We don't know his ways. So that's where the trust and the faith comes into play. Okay, God, all I see is a wall that cannot be broken through. 
But you apparently see that that's not the case. So I'm going to trust you on this. I'm going to have faith that what you say is true. So we have a problem. We have a hang-up. We also have a promise that God says, I will take care of you. I will walk you through it. Then he gives three instructions, and maybe write these down because we're going to talk through each of them. Three very specific instructions from God to Joshua that then he'll pass off into the rest of the Israelites. The first one was, do what around the city? Go March. He says, march around the city. Not just march around the city once. He says, do it repeatedly. Instruction number two, you're going to walk, or you're going to march circles repeatedly. In fact, you're going to do it once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to do it how many times? Seven more times. So for a whole week, you're going to march. So instruction one, march. Instruction two, do it all week. Keep marching in circles around and around and around. And the very last one, we see it in verse five. It says, after you've marched and you're at the end of your seventh time on the seventh day, when the horns blast, give a loud what? Shout. Give a loud shout. Three instructions that are going to help the Israelites get through that wall, get through that hang up. And I think the same instructions are going to apply to us, how we march, how we do it repeatedly, but then also what it looks like for us to shout. So that first part, marching. Notice God did not say, take a walk. He didn't say, go run. He said very intentionally, march. You need to go march. So I have no military background whatsoever, and so I had to go to a military friend of mine, Chris, and say, okay, Chris, I have a question for you. It's for church, so it's okay. I said, and he's a former Marine, and I I said, I need you to teach me to march, and he started laughing for some reason, first of all, and I said, no, I'm serious. I mean, I want you to teach me how to march. If I was a Marine, how would you teach me to march? He's like, can I yell at you? And I said, you do whatever you have to do. And then I quickly retract and says, not whatever you have to do. I mean, I have to preach Sunday. Give me some dignity still. And uh, so he had some fun with me. So I, so I said, okay, treat me like you're a drill sergeant or you're the drill sergeant. I just got off the bus. And, and he most certainly did. And I said, okay, let's tone that down a little bit. Let's be nice to me. And uh, he says, well, do you want to learn to march? I said, yes, but in like three minutes. So you can't break me completely. So first thing he told me is heels together. So I got my heels together. And he says, knees together. So I got those. And he said, you need to have your feet at a 40 di- 45 degree angle. He says, here's how I know if it's 45 degrees. He came up and he just kicked the snot out of the front of my toes. He says, you're not at 45 degrees. I said, I can feel that. So you have to be 45 degrees so that if they kick the middle of your feet, the, their boot goes basically straight in there. So 45 degrees, and then I do what I think you're supposed to do. I put my hands on my side. He says, hands are not at your sides. I said, I don't know what to do with them then. He says, no, thumbs down. Okay, thumbs down. He says, not all the way at your side. I'm like, and I need it was a stressful few minutes this week learning how to march. And he says, no, thumbs down, and there's somewhere at the seams this-ish. He's, I, don't think, I think he was here earlier, so he's not going to know. If you're military, give me a lot of grace on this one, all right? <laughs> so somewhere around here, and he's like, shoulders straight, head straight, eyes straight. And I looked over him again, don't look at me. And I'm like, yes, sir. I mean, Chris, whatever you are right now. And stared, stared together. And so he's teaching me all this. And he's like, okay. And that was just standing. That's just standing at attention. We haven't even gotten to marching yet. Now I feel terrible. So then he says, and some of you may know this, what do we do first? Which foot goes first, left or right? Always with your left. Which arm goes first? Right. This is where it really started to break down for me. <laughs> I was like, Chris, I'm relatively coordinated, but not that much. <laughs> So then we started to march, and so and it, it just it just it looked terrible. I'm not even going to try to do it because it looked that bad. But I gave him a time. I said, okay, now hang on. I, I kind of get where you're going with this. But I said, Chris, in the military, what's the point of this? No disrespect, but why is marching so strict? He didn't skip a beat. He said, well, it's uniformity. Keeps everybody unified. 
keeps everybody in step, it keeps the right rhythm at the right pace to where you're going, and every march is always with urgency and purpose. I said, that's why God said march. Not to just go walk around the wall at your own pace, at your own time. No, he said, march, stay in step with me, keep the right pace. He says, do it with confidence and with discipline. Keep your eyes forward. Chris, who was teaching me this whole march thing, said, your focus is always straight ahead. What do we focus on when we march? What's straight ahead? What do we focus on when we walk? Whatever we want. He didn't say run, start just running and do this as fast as you can. No, there's a cadence to it. There's purpose with every step that you take. God intentionally told Joshua for him and his army to march. What does it look like for us to march? It's not this, is it? No, it's with confidence and it is with discipline. Even if we don't know where we're going, if we don't even know why we're doing it, we march with confidence and discipline. I would imagine as the Israelites were marching around the city, the thought is, are we sure this is the right thing? (laughs) But we march with confidence and we march with discipline. Here's what can give you confidence, because I know as you walk around those hurts, habits, and hangups, it's difficult to hang on to something to even be confident in. Romans chapter eight, verse 37 says this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the cadence we march to. Nothing separates us from him. Nothing. I don't always understand it. I don't always see it. I don't always get it. I don't know how I'm going to move past this. I don't know how this wall is ever going to allow me to get through it. We march with confidence that only comes from the promises found in his word. That's what we focus on. Instruction number one, we march. We march around those hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Second instruction, we continue to do it. He says, don't just march one lap. Do it once a day, but for six days. You're going to do this for a whole week. You keep going. And you can imagine how after day one, okay, well, that really did a lot of good, Joshua. Day two, nothing. Day three, we marched in nothing. Day four, we marched in nothing. Day five, we marched in not even a little crumble. We're not even putting a dent in this thing. We keep marching, but we don't always see the results that we were hoping for, maybe even the results that we believe were promised to us. Let me say this phrase for us. Continued obedience without immediate results. Continued obedience, even when we don't see immediate results. That's what God told the Israelites and Joshua to do. Continue to obey. Continue to march, even when you don't see that it's working. Continue to march. Continue to obey. Even when the wall has not fallen yet, you continue to obey, even when we don't always see the results. We're very good at trying things. We're very good at laps one, two, and maybe three. We say, well, man, my marriage really isn't, isn't very healthy, so I'll try counseling. Well, I tried it. It didn't work, so let's just be done. Well, I, I mean, I tried this healthy eating thing, and I tried to adjust some of my habits, but I really didn't see the results in the first three days, so I'm just going to be done with it. It obviously did not work. We say, well, I went to an AA meeting once or twice, and man, it, it didn't really help. I still had the same struggles and still temptation, so why even bother? We're good at taking a few laps. We're not good at always seeing it through. Continued obedience, even when we don't see immediate results. That's the instruction here. To keep walking, even when we, to keep marching, even when we're saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Even when we don't see the results, we continue to keep 
going. So here's, let me, let me just kind of say this to you, because I think this is what Joshua would have had to say to his army. Joshua, are we going to get up and walk and, and march one more lap? He says, yep. Well, what are we going to do? Wake up and march one more lap. What are we going to do tomorrow? We're going to wake up and we're going to take another lap. How do you march around your hurts, your habits, and your hang-up? You do it by waking up and taking another lap. And what do you do when that doesn't work? You get up and you take another lap. And what do you do when the wall's still there? You get up and you take another lap. And what do you do when you're, st- when you're tired and you're exhausted? You get up and you take another lap. And what do you do when that wall just doesn't seem to want to crumble? You get up and you take another lap. You see, Joshua and the Israelites, they at least had a time frame. Hey, we're going to do this for seven days, and man, this is going to happen. I don't have a magic number for you. I can't say, man, if you will march around your addictions, here's how long it's going to take. You do three laps in three days, you're done. It doesn't work that way. We don't know what the time frame is. And quite honestly, some of those walls, we may be marching around our entire lives. We get up and we take another lap. But we have to have the confidence we get in marching, the discipline to continue to have the obedience even when we don't see the results. And here's what we learn out of Romans chapter five, verse three. We can rejoice too when we run into problems. Those are those hurts, habits, and hangups. And trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Here's the deal with, with uh, endurance. In order for endurance to be developed, we first have to hit a point of exhaustion. If you never hit a point of exhaustion, you have no need for endurance. So when you get to the place of being exhausted, great, you're ready for endurance to be developed in you. And once endurance begins its work in you, that's what helps you take that next step. Because when you say, because of this hurt, this habit, and this hang-up, I can't even take another step, endurance is going to step in and begin to take it with you. And we get that only through what we learn in Scripture. It's only when we hit the point of exhaustion that we can begin to allow endurance to work in us and to develop in us. So we march. We keep marching, we march in circles. It feels like we're not taking ground because sometimes we're not. <laughs> we're just being faithful and obedient. What was the third one? What was the third, third instruction? Shout. Now, not just shout. If you go back to verse five, it says that the army to give a loud shout. And then later on, verse 10, when Joshua is actually reiterating all these instructions, he says this, but Joshua commanded the army, do not give a war cry. That's that same word as shout. Do not raise your voice, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. You see, shout here, there's a very specific word, teruah. Say teruah. No, 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 no. No, this is not, when it says shout, it's not like a, ah. No, this is a shout. This is war cry. This is brave heart. Teruah. Say teruah. 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 I lost you on that last one, didn't I? Practice this week in front of the mirror. Tarua! Your kids are, Dad, what's wrong? Nothing, I'm shouting a war cry for the Lord. What? Anyway, that's the word, Tarua. And it's literally a war cry, not just a shout, but a war cry. And the purpose of a war cry is to rally people together. A war cry is to rally soldiers together ready for battle. It's the last instruction God gave Joshua for his army is rally together with a war cry. Who rallies together with you? Understand what Joshua did not do on his own. He did not march on his own. He did not march around the city on his own. And he did not shout on his own. He did all of those together. It was a group effort for the entire Israelite army. So often we try to march in circles by ourselves. It does not work. You cannot do that. 
We march around in circles, around our walls, our hurts, habits, and hangups, but we do it with people to rally together with us. We have to have people in our lives to rally around with us. That's why we do groups. That's why we're trying to get you to sign up for a group. It's why we have things like CR and Celebrate Recovery so that you can have people to rally around with you. So here's what I think that looks like. If you were to put all those things together, marching, marching in circles, and that rally cry together, out of Romans chapter 12, verse 12, three things that we're told. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. What does it look like to march in circles with people around you? What does it look like to march around your hurts, habits, and hangups, whatever those may be? I think it's that. To be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Now, um, I, will, I have a confession to, to make for you all. Um, there's, a, there's a quote that I think sums it up well. Charles Spurgeon said this, all originality and no plagiarism makes for dull preaching. I love that. All originality and no plagiarism makes for dull preaching. And so I will confess that this sermon that I've given you, this message from God's word, I had nothing to do with. <laughs> In fact, I heard this exact message given by one of our staff members. We do staff devos every Tuesday. And a certain lady, one of our staff members, she gave this devo on Joshua 6, and it just hit me deep in my heart. And it hit me deep in my heart because of just the hurts, habits, and hangups I have, just like you have. But I, I know part of her story, and so it made a huge impact. And so as I was preparing for this week with another message that was definitely not going to be as good, I called her up. Her name's Misty. I said, Misty, do I have permission to preach your sermon? I mean, it was impactful. It was incredible. Could I preach it? And she says, yeah, wow, I'm flattered. That'd be great. I said, one other small favor. I don't think it's going to mean enough or as much if I just do it. And so would you be willing to share part of your wall with us and she says like like in front of people I said yeah like in front of people and uh so I promised her that you all wouldn't look at her during this next part but would you please welcome Misty Risley to come on up there's more people this time <laughs> they heard how good you did though <laughs> so as I said, Misty's on our Mount Lake staff. She's the facilities director, so she has the job of keeping me and our facility in line, which is, you do a pretty good job. And uh, as I said, uh, as about a month ago or so, you, you just shared, hey, man, here's what God's been doing in my life, something you've been learning, and uh, I mean, it, it did. It made such a huge impact. So we're just going to have a conversation. You don't have to talk to them at all. You just talk uh. to me. But, uh, but start out, I mean, we're, we're talking about this wall, and it's a great metaphor. It's great preaching, but make that real for us. What, what is your wall? What's your story? Give us a little context. Okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> um, April 27th, 2014, I was out of town with my husband, and I got a phone call that my son, Austin, who was 16 at the time, had had an accident. Um, he had an ATV accident. He had flipped a four-wheeler, and they were on their way to the emergency room. No big deal. Um, about five minutes later, I got another call saying that Life Flight was picking him up from the ER, and they were going to go to a trauma hospital. So we drove really fast <laughs> um, up to South Carolina because he was out of town and um, got there and it was the worst day of my life, but then the next morning was the greatest day when they told us that it was a miracle. He only had a concussion. It was just a concussion. Go home, rest for a week, and then you can go back to school. 
Um, I think it took us about three days to realize that something wasn't right. So fast forward three months, we got into the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, and they told us Austin had a traumatic brain injury. So that started the year long of doctors and therapy and all the time were there. Um, about a year later, they came back and told us that he had a severe traumatic brain injury. Um, Austin has cognitive function issues. He has memory issues. He has um, executive reasoning issues, um, verbal recall, and he's in a lot of pain. So a brain injury, that's my wall. <laughs> yeah. So identify the wall, but talk to us about the pace. We said, you know, God was very intentional. And when you, when you told the staff this, I mean, God was very intentional to say march, not run, not walk. So help us understand your pace. You know, did you start out marching? What's it, been, what's it been like? What's your pace been like, you know, starting out and even over the last four years? Yeah, I, I was not marching <laughs> at all. I was running. I was running like a crazy person with my hair on fire. <laughs> like, ah! Um, I ran and I ran yeah. and then I got exhausted and I collapsed. And that's usually when my husband would find me in the closet in our bedroom crying. And then I would get up again and I'd run around the wall as fast as I could because you know I'm a mom and I'm an adult and you know I'm supposed to take care of everything yeah. I wasn't there when Austin had the accident I wasn't there when he got put on life flight I wasn't there when he went into surgery but I'm gonna be there now like I'm gonna fix this yeah. so I ran and I would get exhausted and fall yeah. and then I would run and get exhausted and fall it wasn't until about a year and a half that I started slowing down and I'm like, um, I can't do this by myself. I can't do this. So what does marching look like for you then? If you have this run and collapse and finally to this place where you're learning to march, what does marching around this wall with, with a brain injury look like for you? As a mom, as... It looks like a crazy person. <laughs> Again. Um, it is realizing that I can't, I can't fix this. It's realizing that I can't do this by myself. Um, I fail a lot. I mean, on this Friday, Austin has an appointment coming up. And if you see me on Thursday, um, I will be crazy. Um, I will forget that it's not my job to fix it. Um, and it's, it's when I don't even have the words to say to God that he is listening to me. Because Austin was his before he was mine. Yeah. So it's believing that God's got this. So walk us through, so you, you start running, which any, any of us parents would do this. I've got to fix this. Let's, let's get you the right doctors. Let's take care of this. We can overcome this. You know, all those, we pep ourselves up type of a moment. But then you crash. How did you get out of that run, crash, run, crash to a place where you can march most of the time? We don't do this perfectly, but what role did brokenness play in this? What role did, you know, just those in-between moments play to get you to a place where you can kind of begin to march? Well, Brokenness, definitely, because um, when you're on your closet floor crying and you can't move, um, you realize that, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing of me left. I mean, I was so exhausted, and I would get up in the morning, and I would go to work, and I would want to be the best facilities director you have ever seen, <laughs> and then I would come home, and I wanted to be the best mom that I could be to Austin by fixing it, by being his therapist and his doctor and fixing it. And one day I just 
woke up and I couldn't go on. But it took, it took me running around that wall and falling and breaking for me to realize that I can't do this. Hmm. It was at that moment that I knew that God had to do this, but I couldn't have got there without marching around that wall. Even if I marched wrong, <laughs> even if I got up every day thinking, I cannot do this. I found myself saying out loud, I cannot do this. And one day I started saying, God's, God's going to do this. And it changed just by saying those words. Yeah. So brokenness did play a major role. I mean, would you think Definitely. that, would you have gotten to that place without brokenness? No, not at all. Not at all. And through the brokenness, I started to see my wall changing. Through the brokenness, when I started, um, my wall was a traumatic brain injury. And I didn't know why God was not. He said, I've given you Jericho. Why are you not making this traumatic brain injury right. go away? Just, you know. That's your promise. You've given me Jericho. <laughs> so I learned from walking and being broke around that wall that my wall was never Austin's traumatic brain injury. My wall is accepting the new, new. Hmm. Accepting what my life is now. Accepting the wonderful young man Austin has become, which is different than the young man he would have been without a traumatic brain injury. It is... It's just knowing that today is okay, even though it's not what I thought it was going to be. And I would have never gotten here. I needed every lap around that wall to realize that I'm now the best mom that I could be for Austin. Before, I was not. Yeah, but you're still marching. But, oh, yeah, I'm still marching every day. I think that's important for us to hear is, you know, you, you and your family have been walking through this for almost four years now. And... You said that your wall changed, that it, at first I thought it was the brain injury, and we would all just, you know, we, we put those things in our prayer life, God, fix this, God, heal this, God, take this away, and, and I mean, you could look at this and say, well, God hasn't answered that prayer, but that's not a promise that he's given us, and so often we hold on to promises that God never gave us, and, and that's what I hear you saying is there's, he answered prayer, he answered the prayer and the promise that he gave us and began to change you, not necessarily the brain injury. Yeah, Austin will never not have a brain injury. Hmm. This wall, well, actually, it's not a wall, me, but it will continue to change. I'll, I'm the best mom that I can be for Austin right now, but now he's not 16, he's 20, so I need to learn how to be a mom for an adult with a brain injury. That's yep. what my wall is morphing into, but it will always be. Always be I will always be marching around a wall, yep. and that's okay. So we talked about the shouting piece and the rallying people, which the word was? Wow. Sorry. They're not going to ever get here, are they? <sighs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Tell us about the Tarua part of your life, the rallying part, the trying to do this on your own and then realizing that I've got to have people around me. Talk to us just briefly what that looks like. Um, well, you. the first year when I was running around the wall, I was running around the wall by myself. Hmm. And when I got to that place of brokenness, I realized, wait a minute, you know, my husband is here. He's going through this with me. Austin's dad and stepmom, they're going through this with me. Um, I have some incredible friends at work. Mandy and Lisa are always there to speak into my life. Um, they help me see the blessings when I can't see them myself. I'll, um, Austin just graduated high school. Yay. So my running around the wall, my initial reaction was it took him six years. Now we've got to do the next thing. And how is he going to do this? And, you know, my friend Lisa stopped me and said, he graduated high school. 
you know, let's, let's talk about those blessings. So that helps me to march around the wall when I think I can. Kind of keeps you on pace. Yes, almost. yeah, the blessings. Well, what's your go-to? Um, and when I say go-to, I mean um, when we have our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, uh, it's difficult, and I'll be the first to admit this, and you can agree with this, I, I believe you will, is we don't always just want to jump to God's word. Because it's like, okay, I, I don't want to hear the cliche, well, man, things are going to work out, and God's got this, and, you know, let go of the steering wheel. I mean, we don't want to hear those things. No, not at all. So, so what really was your go-to? And even now, as mm-hmm. you're marching, and it's difficult to pray, it's difficult to, to listen, what, what's the, the focus uh, for you? That first year, I, I couldn't pray. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't want to pray. Not that I was mad at God. I just sat down to pray, and I had no words. Mm-hmm. I had no words. So... Um, I had a good friend, Jess, who um, gave me her verse that gets her through tough times, and it's Jonah 2-7. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord, and my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. And I love this prayer because it doesn't say when his life was slipping away that he prayed or that he sang or that he read a Bible verse. Um, he just remembered the Lord. So... In those times when I'm so overwhelmed, which will probably be Thursday, um, that I can't take one more piece of bad news, when I don't have the words, I can just remember the Lord. And when I remember him, he's there just remembering him. I mean, you don't have to have some eloquent, eloquent prayer. I mean, when you're broken, sometimes you, you can't pray. And you just have to remember the Lord. And when you remember him, you'll remember his promise. I have given you Jericho. And you'll think, okay, I just need to get up and march. That's right. One more time around the wall. One more time around the wall. Mm-hmm. Hey, will you thank Misty for being here this morning? Ah! <laughs> awesome. One more lap. What do you do after this? You march one more lap, just like Misty said. And man, I don't know what to pray. I don't have the words. I love that verse. Remember the Lord. When my life is slipping away, remember the Lord. You can't do that if you don't have a relationship with him. If you have a relationship with him, it gets rocky, it gets difficult. Those hurts, those habits, and those hangups are there. They don't always go away. But we get up and we march and we focus on, just like you said, on his promise. So let's do that together. Can we just stand right where you're at? We're gonna pray. We'll do one more thing. God, we come before you recognizing the problems before us. Whatever the hurts, whatever the habits, whatever the hangups are, God, the, the walls that seem unconquerable, the cities that seem impenetrable, that we just can't do anything about, that we almost feel paralyzed and stuck, that we can't move forward. You desire us to, and we would say in our head that we know that, but in our heart, we don't even know where to begin. So God, thank you for the Bible stories that give us encouragement and teach us endurance so that we may have hope. When we were told to get up and keep marching, give us hope. Give us obedience, give us faith, give us discipline to continue to march even when we don't see immediate results. God, whether this is a wall that we're walking around to conquer, whether it is a wall to march around that we will be marching around for the rest of our lives, do exactly what you have promised, that you will be with us. You don't promise that we will not have trouble. In fact, you tell us that we will have trouble. But you tell us to take heart because you have overcome the world. May we continue to march with you with that in mind. In Jesus' name, amen.